Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable to you, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Amen. For a while there, I was a real self-help junkie. I was always looking for one more life hack or pro tip that would make me organized and neat and in control. And for the most part, none of them really stuck. But one of the tips I remember hearing is something I still do time to time. Whenever you don't feel like cleaning, put on a podcast or some music and just clean for five minutes. If at the end of the five minutes you want to stop, you can. But most of the time, you get in the groove of the cleaning and the music or the audiobook or whatever, and you keep on cleaning. Even though you didn't want to at first, just getting started was the hardest part. And I started realizing how many other areas of my life this applied to. There were many days that I didn't feel like going to the gym. But I changed my clothes, and I just went for five minutes. And while I did leave a few times after those five minutes, most of the time I stayed and completed my full workout. Some days I don't really feel like writing sermons, but I'll write for five minutes and I'll see what comes out. Most of the time, five minutes is enough for me to find a thread or a train of thought, and the words then start just pouring out of my fingers. Finally, I started noticing it with prayer. Sometimes I feel too busy for God or too distracted. But five minutes in silence with him normally gets me moving in the right direction. Today we come into the gospel in the middle of a storyline. You see, yesterday, Jesus triumphantly entered Jerusalem. Then he entered the temple and flipped over the tables of the money changers. After spending the night outside of town, he has returned to the temple. Clearly, the priests have heard about the absolute spectacle Jesus made of himself yesterday, and they are looking to put him in his place. So they start questioning him on what authority he has to be there and doing these things. And Jesus does what he always does. He doesn't give a straight answer. He asks them a question, and he begins telling a story. Now, in this story, a father goes and talks to his first son. He tells his son, go, work in the vineyard. And the first son says, no. So he goes to his second son and tells him to go work in the vineyard. And the second son agrees, but then doesn't go and actually do it. Now, let's go back to the first son. Maybe he partied too hard the night before and is feeling it this next morning. Maybe he has been working in the vineyard for days and just wants to sleep in. Or maybe he's just a contrarian. We don't know why he says no, but he does. And then later, despite not wanting to go, he goes anyway. Now his bad attitude might still be there. He still may not want to go. He may still be tired or busy or whatever made him say no in the first place. But he does go. 
even though he's not really feeling it. And even though he may have been disagreeable at first, even though he may have needed some time to do the right thing, he ended up being the son who did his father's will. Some will have you believe that our hearts are filled with the fire of the Holy Spirit first, and then we just start being the perfect Christian. That faith comes first, and then right action follows. But while that could happen, I think for most people, that gets the steps out of order. The reason we have developed this rich tradition of Christian practice is because these are the practices people did in order to become faithful Christians, in order to grow closer to God, in order to be sanctified by the Holy Spirit. In other words, Christianity has always been a you-get-what-you-give kind of spiritual practice. And while that phrase is commonly used, I don't actually agree with it. Yes, you have to give, but you get back tenfold, twentyfold, one hundredfold. You get way more than you give, but you still have to give. Today we hear from Paul's letter to the Philippians, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. We do have some responsibility to work toward our own sanctification. And quite honestly, most of us aren't itching to do that work. Sanctification, the process of being made holy, is uncomfortable work. We hear metaphors for it in scripture and church tradition. Being washed, scrubbed, brushed clean like wool or cotton. Having the impurities burned out of us in a smelter's fire. Having our chaff separated from our wheat. And frankly, none of them sound like something I want to do. Clinging to our vices, to our sin, to our hardness of heart may not be great, but it's comfortable. I at least know it's mine. But when we really start walking the path of discipleship, even if we are unsure where that path leads, we will find that while the first five minutes of any practice may be hard, the ball really gets rolling after that. And not only will we find that we are pleasing our Heavenly Father, we will also find that we receive so much in return. These traditions, these practices that bring us closer to God, that change our hearts, are called disciplines. And while Christian tradition has given us many, many wonderful disciplines throughout the millennia, I prefer the way Richard Foster breaks them down in his book, The Celebration of Discipline. Foster separates classical church disciplines into three groups. Inward, outward, and corporate. The inward disciplines of meditation, prayer, fasting, and study offer avenues of personal examination and change. The outward disciplines of simplicity, solitude, submission, and service help prepare us to make the world a better place. The corporate disciplines of confession, worship, guidance, and celebration bring us nearer to one another and to God. Now, those are a lot of disciplines to take on. But you don't have to try and knock out all 12 in one fell swoop. Instead, 
Start just one. And start easy. When you wake up on Sunday morning, and maybe you've spent the night partying too hard, or maybe you've been working every day this week and would just like to sleep in, or maybe you're just a contrarian, grumble all you want, but get up, get dressed, and come to church. That's a corporate discipline. Or maybe you're feeling too busy, too rushed to find time to pray. Okay, well maybe just start by thanking God before meals. Or praying in the car on the way to your tea time. Or maybe talking to God in the shower every morning. That's an inward discipline. Start small, but start somewhere. These disciplines can feel, be especially helpful when you are feeling disconnected from God. Instead of letting your feelings lead the way, instead lean in and let your action lead the way. Volunteer with a new ministry at church. Start listening to a morning prayer podcast. Go to Curcio. Purge extra stuff from your life. Join our Wednesday evening suppers. Read a new devotional. Come sing with the choir. There are so many ways to give of yourself. And the great news is while you have to start, you will not be alone. Earlier, I only gave you part of Paul's sentence. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who is at work in you, enabling you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. While we have to make the decision, the choice, to drag our unmotivated, sleepy, busy behinds to the vineyard, this desire to do God's will, comes from God himself, and he will be working in us and with us to change our hearts and to change the vineyard. While we must consent, it is God doing the heavy lifting, God who is sanctifying us, and this makes for lighter and lighter work as we continue along our journey. God is saying to you, son, daughter, Go and work in the vineyard today. Don't be the one who just says all the right things, but doesn't mean them. Don't be the one who does the bare minimum or even less than. Rather, be the one who, despite the grumbling, shows up. Be the one who takes on the work of the vineyard. And be the one who does our Heavenly Father's will. Amen.